Welcome, everybody, to the Too High Podcast. I'm Seth Galina alongside Deontay Lee. Deontay, what's going on? What's going on, man? Happy Nike Coach of the Year Day to all my real <laughs> grinders out here trying to get a little bit better. 1% better, I think, is a term that every coach goes by. So looking forward to everybody picking up. You know, whatever the new terminology is that we're going to be using all summer. You know, last year was, what, gap and a half? <laughs> you know, I'm wondering what it's going to be this year, but I'm looking forward to the off season and all the stuff that comes out of I, on the other hand, I'm working this morning. So let's let's get to work I don't work know what here, that's buddy. about. <laughs> I don't know what that's about at all. <laughs> um, all right. On this podcast, we continued our um, uh, questions from the mailbag that we started on earlier this week. And we also talked about two position groups in the draft, um, defensive backs and wide receivers. So I'm excited for you guys to listen to it. And uh, we'll hear you guys on the flip side. Okay, podcast note before we get started here. Me and Griffin have squashed the beef. We're friends again. Uh, we love each other. We speak French to each other, and um, and and that's it. I just wanted to get that out there. I think everyone understands that me and Griffin, been, Green Griffin, have been through a lot, um, but we're back to being best friends. So let's get into the defensive backs here. Um, starting off, uh, you did some work on the defensive backs, so let's let's hear it. Um, I think my first question is obviously as an LSU fan and wearing my LSU hoodie, uh, sorry, my LSU crew neck right now. Right. Um, what, wh- wh- Derek Stingley, mm-hmm. we saw him in 2019, true freshman. In fact, I don't remember, I remember if I said this story on the pod, but the, 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 what I understood from, 2018 from the end of the 2018 LSU season right. in bowl pe- preparations for the Fiesta Bowl um Derek Stingley came in basically he still should have been in high school at that time and he came in and, he, and they, they they said he probably should have started that game LSU had some injuries on defense that that yeah. game but apparently he should have started that game so from 2018 being still basically in high school to true freshman year in college being the best cornerback or, or defensive back in the game we thought he was like basically a t- lock for top five, maybe even number one overall. Mm-hmm. Cut to two years later, and all of a sudden, you're seeing people not even have him as a number one corner on the board, maybe not a top 10 pick. When you watch the tape of him, are you seeing the same thing? Or are you just saying, hey, too too many things happened at the LSU program, especially on the defense over the last two years, for me to like take, you know, take, take too much from those two years, and we really have to focus on what he did as a true freshman. I mean, I just get a chuckle out of it because I, I just don't know where it's coming from, honestly. I really don't get where it's coming from, especially if you're using 2021 as a reference. Like, that touchdown pass to Kyle Phillips in week one of the season is basically the only, like, real play that he gave up all season long. Um, <clears throat> so to me, like, and I said this in the in my writing, but, like, we have an overexposure issue with Derek Stingley because of what you said. Right from the moment that he stepped on, he stepped on the field. Dave Aranda was like unequivocal about it. Like this is the best dude that I've maybe ever had playing defensive back in front of me, and he performed like that as a freshman. Um, I think honestly, what really hurt him more than anything was the 2020 season, not this one. Um, obviously, you know the being kind of in and out of the lineup, he was kind of half in, half out for a while. People weren't really sure about the status of his health and 
all of that. And then there's all of the fallout that's happening with um, who was it? Bo Pelini as the defensive coordinator. And it seemed like the guys on the defense weren't all that fond of him. And then obviously we find the falling out between he and Ed Orgeron. Then Ed Orgeron is out the door. So I do think that there's, he has almost been a victim of a, his own success. And then B all the things that kind of crumbled at LSU following the 2019 title. Um, so I do think that that's a piece of it. Um, I think, and one of the things that I kind of wanted to say, I didn't say in, in, in my writing, but I've definitely had conversations about it is that none of this is to say anything negative about Ahmad Gardner, right? Like anybody can watch Gardner in Cincinnati and see that that is another elite cornerback prospect. My whole thing is like, I don't know why we'd move Derek Stingley out the way for anybody that that's kind of where I'm at. It's not to say that Gardner does not merit being in the conversation is potentially being the best DB in the class. But I still, I view Derek Stingley in the exact same light that I did before. Um, and if you're asking me to judge him against Gardner, which is obviously going to be the conversation all off season, I do think that there's something to be said for what Stingley can do when the ball is in the air, especially in jump ball scenarios. Like that's something that immediately translates to the NFL level. Um, and I'm, I'm just really confident in what he can do, his ability his ball skills, and then what we've seen of him on tape uh, for the, throughout the, the majority of his career, if not as in the entirety of it. Right, so you, so you don't see fall off um, in the play. Now, obviously, like you said, um, in and out of the lineup for, for two years now, but you don't see any – when he's in the lineup, you don't see any fall off from the 2019 season. No, and a lot of the losses, I think, like – and it's not to take everything off of his shoulders because, of course, like – Playing corner means you're going to lose some reps. Yeah. Um, but what I do think, and this was something that I pointed out to somebody who brought up Cincinnati to me and Gardner, was if you give the quality of pass rush that Cincinnati, that uh, Gardner had at Cincinnati to Stingley in 2020 and 2021 the way that he had in 2019, um, you probably get some different results. Again, that's not to say that these guys, that Gardner doesn't merit you know his production, but we've talked about this defensively in general. These two things are married. It, it's really hard to divorce one from the other, um, especially at the college level, man. Like you, you do as a corner need some level of pass rush, especially for the way that Stingley likes to play or the way that he's going to be utilized more often than not. If you're going to be press the way that he is playing tight coverage, I don't care if it's quarters. I don't care if it's cover one. I don't care if it's a bracket concept, whatever the case may be. Like you've got to get home or at least affect the throw. Because it's hard to play a guy from the line of scrimmage up to 45 yards down the field, potentially, um, if, you're, if the quarterback just gets to be clean in the pocket all day. And with that, he still wasn't giving up a whole bunch of targets throughout the year. So, I um, mean, definitely not a lot of explosive plays. So, to me, like, it's just a really clear thing, you know, that I'm looking at in terms of how he performs. And I'm as confident, if not more confident now, who he's going to be as a player. It's just that there are more players in the conversation. And that's... That's kind of the thing that I, I get a chuckle out of is like because in 2019 we weren't talking about anybody else in that class except for Stingley. And now all of a sudden there are more names involved, which is the natural process of going to year two and year three for graduating or a draft class. Just because there are more players in the conversation does not mean that it has to take away from who Stingley is as a player. I also think his ball skills are, are he's going to come away with balls in the NFL. It's ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. People really have to go back and why. I just think that people have not spent enough time really watching all the times that he's targeted, especially in one-on-one jump ball scenarios or anywhere where he can get a contested catch. His ability to play, when we talk all the time with receivers in terms of making plays outside of their radius, 
The same thing exists for DBs, and he makes maybe the most plays that you'll see outside of the typical defensive back contest radius in terms of his length, his ability to get hands on the football, his jumping ability. Um, you know, you see plays, and this is something that was told to me um, as a player, like one of the hardest things to do when you're a DB is running down the field, the ball is in the air, and you're able to jump and turn to the football, right? You kind of see like a, a 360 or like a pirouette to contest the ball. It's really hard to have the body control to do that, and we've seen him do that time and time and time again. And, you know, I, I think that this is a guy in the NFL that um, – and one thing that he didn't do a lot at LSU that you probably will see is move him around. Like, you can play him inside if you want to. A, because he can fit the run. He's a really good tackler. Um, and he plays with his length and physicality really well. And then B, because of his patience, his ability to move laterally and all that, I think that he can cover slots as well. So he's going to have a lot of utility early in his career. Um, and, and for that, I'm still going to keep him at the top. And I'll say at worst, he's it's a 1A, 1B thing with between him and Gardner. Okay, so let's talk about Gardner then. Um, again, another guy who... You know, it's not hard to find where he's going to be good at in the league. And that's right. Press man to man, which is what they do all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, it's interesting, like you said, very different. You know, when I think about the way that a Dave Aranda um, coached up their defense and press in, 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 in as as a part of a bigger picture, how Bo Pelini did it. And then how, um, Jesus, Durante Jones did it. Um, you know, the three, the kind of three, dif let's not forget, Stingley had three defensive coordinators at LSU. In three years, yeah. Um, compared to um, the way that um, Luke Fickle and then first Marcus Freeman and then uh, Trestle's first name, uh, Young Trestle yeah. did it. I was going to say a yeah, little um, Trestle. <laughs> yeah. Um, so two, two defensive coordinators, though, running basically, you know, very similar schemes going from Freeman to Trestle. So, yeah, like when you see him, you're seeing a press man-to-man, -man, shut down the X type of player. 100%. I mean, and his size and his length just absolutely pops off the screen. He plays like a 6'3 guy. Um, you know, I'm interested to see where his weight is at. I know he's listed at like 200 um, on Cincinnati's site. I'm not, I, I don't doubt the fact that he can get his body to that weight. It just does not appear that way based on his frame. So I'm interested about what that is. Um, but one of the things that I really like, you know, again, playing in press, all that often means that you're going to lose at times at the release point in press. And he is an elite ability to recover, get back in phase and, you know, contest the football. And that's something that is really rare, especially at that height and size. You usually don't see the tall guys still have the fluidity in their hips and their feet to be able to recover when they lose at the line of scrimmage. And that's going to do a lot for him in the NFL because I still think that there's some growth potential for him in terms of his press technique. Because I do think that there are some times where he really just kind of wants to jump on guys. And you can jump press a lot at the college level. It's a hell of a lot harder to do in the pros where guys have a wide array of releases and things like that. And the timing changes um, in terms of the passing concepts. But for me looking at Gardner, I mean, that's another really clear progression uh, progression or projection, excuse me, the way that you were saying like press man, drop him in to a cover one team, cover three team. You can play quarters with them. And, you know, he's one of those guys like uh, Tredavious White to bring up another LSU guy that can play outside and you can stick him outside turn your back and feel confident that he can handle whoever the number one receiver is 
um, that you're playing against. You know, and it wasn't just playing the group of five. His power five, you know, in power five games, he allowed less than 50 yards and had like four picks or a combination of picks and pass breakups. Had as many of those as he gave up first down. So, like, it doesn't matter who he's been lined up against. We saw it against Jamison Williams when they played Alabama in the playoffs. Like, this dude does it. Like, he's really one of those types of guys. I think that he can step in and be elite the same way that we saw Patrick Sertan, uh, the second step in and be a great top 10 level corner basically from day one. Is um, Trent McDuffie, who's now ranked um, eighth on the PFF big board, um, ahead of uh, Gardner ranked 11th, is he in that other kind of the other thing where you're saying like, okay, well, with with Stingley and Gardner, we know we can get press man out of this guy. And we know that that's a, such, such an important trait. Um, yeah. McDuffie, 5'11", 195 playing cover three outside like are you like where do you see him fitting at the is it just in that scheme or do you think he can play a little bit more i think if he were to be asked to do more you would have to have the conversation about moving him inside just physically like it's it's hard it's really hard in today's nfl to be a sub six foot corner and play anything more than just like off zone coverage, especially outside. Um, and I like McDuffie's game a lot, extremely competitive. Yeah. Uh, you know, he plays much bigger than his size. And I know that that's like a common refrain. Anytime you like someone in the draft who has size problems is you just start <laughs> making up terms like he plays bigger than his, than his size, but you can see it in the film, right? Like he's always contesting passes. He flies around. He fits very much in the, you know, Washington DB, lore that we've had you know in college football over the last like five six seasons so you know he's definitely one of those types of guys it's just that if you want to do anything more with him I think at the pro level that's not going to involve playing off coverage playing a lot of soft cover three maybe playing in the flats as a cover two corner anything more than that you do have to think about kicking him inside and then it becomes um then it becomes a a matter of like if he's playing inside, is it going to be like you can't be in the run fit? So now we're only playing bracket and cover three and cover one off of it type of deal. But that's fine because he again, he's so competitive. He can deal with slot receivers, I think, really, really well. His feet are great. Um, it's just like, yeah, I, I just don't I don't know if he can live long term on the perimeter in this in this version of the NFL. Uh, one of the guys that I wanted to ask you about because I just happened to watch his snaps against Jameson Williams when I was watching Jameson Williams is uh, Kyrie uh-huh. Elam. Uh-huh. And he had a re- did a really good job, especially uh-huh. in press against. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, your thoughts on on him? I think he he's someone who seems to be rising up the draft boards. Um, I was talking to uh, I was talking to our Florida our Florida Gator uh, friends who who you know probably were trying not to watch a whole bunch of Gators football this past year. Um, but it, again, another guy who pops off the screen, like he's going to be one of those sleeper DBs who can step in and be a starter from day one. Um, you know, I don't expect him to be, you know, in, I, I may not even expect him to be in the first round because there's just so much depth in this draft, but he's a guy who I think blanket, if you're just looking at, you know, projecting out into the league, you can put a first round grade on that guy. And I don't think that you're going to get a lot of complaints about it. Um, he plays a lot faster than I thought that he would, you know, you can obviously see the physicality. He's all over guys. I mean, he's actually, he's actually a pretty good playmaker when the ball's in the air as well, but his long speed. And I saw it in the Alabama game, trying to track Jamison Williams, 
uh, you know, everywhere he went. And you can see some of that long speed for him. He's a bigger dude. He's got great length. And yeah, like I said, I mean, I, I think he's a little bit more raw than Gardner, than Stingley, than McDuffie. Um, you know, some of the guys that we have at the top um, of this corners class. But in terms of like the raw traits and then the mentality that you need to play that kind of coverage as an outside corner, he has all of that. And I, I'm I'm expecting him to kind of blow up at the Combine. I'd expect something sub four five, if not low four fours. Um, and, and if he does that and, you know, puts up a good vertical, a good broad jump, all the things that we're looking at in terms of explosiveness for these guys. Um, I think that he might be the corner that we leave, you know, with everybody kind of perking their ears, ears up about and going back to rewatch. Okay, let's get to the safeties. Um, I also uh, feel the same way about Elam. Like I said, watching him against Alabama was pretty good. Um, Kyle Hamilton, you got any, what, any issues what with is him? It, like, what, is it, like, what is it to say? I mean, what is it to say? Like, my, my comp for him might be Derwin James. Like, I, I think that that's kind of the way that I'm looking at him. In the pros. Just, for me, a guy like that can that can get that comp and do uh, have all that position versatility, but be six four to twenty is yes, bro. It's it's sick. It's nasty. Yeah. He is legitimately linebacker size with DB skill set. For as much as people throw that around for for safeties, pardon me, he one hundred percent fit one hundred percent fits that billing, and you can see it when he rolls down right. And that was the thing that I really focused in on is like. If he's over slots, if he's over tight ends, yeah. that guy is not open. He might as well not even be on the field, you know, and he's a great playmaker as well. So, like, again, just checking all the boxes. He has great ball skills. He can add value in the run game. He can play in the middle of the field. He can play in quarters. He can play in the box. You can play man with him. You can play zone with him. Like, he's a great tackler out in space. He's just, like, one of the most reliable guys that you can find in the draft. Um, you know, and I know that for guys like – uh for guys that play like safety, people kind of get a little skittish, I guess, about where they get drafted because people start throwing around all the positional value stuff. But to your point about versatility, the way that you can use a guy like him, like for all the ways I think that everybody wanted a guy like Eric Berry maybe to turn out in the league, you're not going to have those kind of questions about a guy like Kyle Hamilton. He's going to step in on the field and be that guy, which is why I'm kind of giving him that Derwin James-esque comp. Um, and, and, you know, you can use him however the hell you want, and you're going to get positive, positive value out of that guy. So he's probably the one I'm maybe – the DB I'm maybe most excited to see in the pros. Uh, another DB that I know you like very much is Baylor's Jalen Petrie. Yes. Um, who we've talked about privately and you think is really um, another kind of versatile player um, and especially a player that I think is like – allows you to be personnel versatile because mm -hmm. of the position he plays, whether it's like Sam nickel and like right. being able to say, Hey, you know, he's a nickel. Sure. He's safety nickel, whatever. Um, we, we, we can live in a world where we're technically, we're seeing base personnel and we're leaving him on the field. Is that something right. you see? 100%. I mean, like again, for what you want out of that kind of nickel Sam position is a guy who fits the run like a linebacker, but can play out in space and coverage like a DB and that's legitimately been his role since day one at Baylor. And he's done it with multiple defensive coordinators. And, you know, I've heard him speak about it in press conferences before where he was saying, like, playing under Phil Snow when he was there with Matt Rule. He's like, I was more of a Sam backer then, so I'm closer to the box, playing inside of these wide receivers. You know, I'm not really carrying guys up the field, but I got to be really physical, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then he was describing, like, when I take that and compare it to what Ron Roberts and Dave Aranda want to do, 
when they're a little bit more coverage, you know, oriented, they care a little bit more about playing tighter to routes. It's like, now I'm playing a little bit more outside. I'm more like a true nickel corner. So now that's a change in mindset, but you don't see a dip in production. Um, and that to me was where I was like, all right, you get a guy like this for, you know, the way that you and I and other people that we really respect have talked about archetypes for players changing in this more odd front, more too high safeties, um, playing the pass more often. You need guys that have um, Petrie's specific skill set at this specific position to make a defense like that work. Like I remember, you know, if everybody if anybody who's listening remembers when we were talking about the Saints um, in the at the midseason point and the way that they're able to be elite run defenders playing with four down and two high safeties and what that asks of your guys that play in those overhang positions. This is the kind of guy that you want to fit into that mold. Same with San Francisco and the way that we talk about them playing with these wide nines, two high safeties, super soft zone coverage. That means that you need a guy in an overhang spot who is downhill as hell anytime he sees run game and that can help you by getting depth and passing off these routes um, in zone coverage. And that's Petrie's film against whoever you want to see. Um, you know, I loved watching him in the games against Oklahoma State because I was probably their best competition all season long. And you can see him, you know, when Oklahoma State gets into their 12, 21, 22 personnel, he's sticking his nose in there, getting underneath tight ends, taking on pullers, tackling the back in the backfield. And then if you see him play in Oklahoma and all of a sudden he's back to being a real nickel, you know, he's out there being able to deliver routes to safeties, carrying things vertically, you know, getting in these underneath windows, contesting passes. Like, I, I don't know where he's going to end up in terms of the draft. I think that we have him ranked at like 26th or 28th, you know, which I think is probably about where a guy who plays that position should be. But that's also perfect for Petrie because that means he's probably going to end up in a spot where he's being drafted by a team that's looking for surplus value. And he is like the perfect surplus value player to be drafted on the defensive end because he's going to do so much for you. You can blitz him, play him in coverage, play him in man. Uh, play him in zone, and, and you're going to get good returns from him no matter what. PF, uh, the Jesus, the Too High podcast is sponsored by our friends at All22, who are unveiling the newest fantasy football game that hundreds of PFF employees have been playing. All22 uses weekly PFF grades as one of its main scoring components and tests your ability to build a full 53-man roster offensive line included. Um, if you've ever dreamt about sitting in an NFL front office, if you enjoy the scouting process, you're going to want to check out All22. Join the waitlist on all-22.com with nothing more than just your email. If you join the waitlist before the NFL draft, you'll receive a special promo code for your All22 subscription. Waitlist users will even gain access to premium content like inaugural draft guides, in-season strategies, uh, feature release announcements, and more. Be sh sure to follow all 22 underscore pff on twitter all 22 less fantasy more football all right let's move on to the uh wide receivers um you can go on pff.com friday morning and find my article on um the receivers uh, specifically against the press this is something i wanted to look at right like. so let me um i guess i'll we'll, we'll switch roles in i guess i'll take over as the the interviewer here so uh, you know, I want to ask you to rank guys, uh, but who is maybe the most shocking to start with before I ask about your favorite? Like who yeah, shocked you the most? Way? 
Either way, take it how you want. Because I, I think I know the fact that you asked that, I think I know who you're going to go with for who kind of <laughs> surprised you. But I'm kind of interested for how you feel about, well, you know, p- positively or negatively. Um, you know, positively is weird. It's Traylon Burks because he's not a mm-hmm. receiver yet, but he's just so f- talented that it's like um, – he just wins down the field. And, like, we don't have a lot of snaps of him versus press. Only 39 snaps of press um, this past season compared to, like, you know, in, like, the 150 range for basically all of your other top receivers. Um, so, like, obviously um, that's quote-unquote a concern, but it's also, like, how they used him. Like, he's in the backfield, he's in the slot, blah, blah, blah. So you, he's not, like, outside, outside so much that he's going to get pressed so much. Um, but he just wins and he wins down the field because you don't realize how fast this guy, I mean, this guy is a big body player with speed. He is just burning guys on vertical straight lines. So it's like, yeah, it doesn't, does he have a lot of moves and nuance? Like probably not. Um, or just, he doesn't right now. But, um, I was surprised, but just like, just, he just wins. And that's sometimes like, (laughs) sometimes you just guys who win in college do win in the NFL sometimes. Right. Whether or not they fit our, our archetype for like this technical thing or this nuanced thing. Sometimes I just win, right? And, That's why, I mean, that was my biggest take. You know, I haven't spent as much time with receivers. And when I watched Burks, that was literally the first thought I had. It was like, this dude just doesn't lose reps. Yeah. He just wins them all. <laughs> like, so, he wins them all. Killed Bama. Just ate Bama's DBs alive. Uh, the, the back shoulder, and then he just takes it and goes. Yeah. 75 yards or whatever it was. Like, pff, okay. It's the sure. Yeah. The long speed he has is probably the thing I was like, wait, hold on. They don't yeah, yeah, supposed yeah, yeah. to make big guys like this. That that that's why you because you, you know, you know, me and you and 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 we wanna be like and I do this with quarterbacks all the time, and that's why I'm wrong about quarterbacks all the time. Because they I want them to fit in a in, in a in a in a mold of Okay, well, this guy does the things like as a coach. I'm like, this guy does the things that you can coach. Like, oh, he's learning and he's figuring it out. And it's all the things that you can coach up where it's like, okay, well, if a quarterback is just like has a has a big arm and that's it. I'm like, well, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't I can't I can't wrap my head around that because as a coach, I'm like, I don't teach that. I can't teach that. It's just like I, I've and I've gotten guys like that. You know, when I've coached, it's like. You know, this kid was hitting. I still remember Hugo. Hugo was hitting the top. You know, we we're practicing in the gym in February, and he's hitting and he and he's getting mad because he literally can't not hit the top of the ceiling in the gym. And it's like I can't like he came in like that. He was seventeen or whatever. He came in like that. Um, so it's like that to me. Like when I'm evaluating guys, it's like well, it's not interesting to me. It's not interesting to me. Uh, you know, for the NFL. And Brooks is that same thing. But then it's like, okay, but I should, I got to take a step back here and be like, okay, but he's, the, the athletic ability is off the charts for a guy that big. It's like, you know, that Kyle, we'll be talking about Kyle Hamilton. The athletic ability is just, it's just too good. Um, and then the opposite end is probably Garrett Wilson, who I think I'm, it's weird because like, he's like the consensus number one. If you look at all the, all the people who like, who like put like big boards together and mock drafts together, he is like, consensus you know number 10 prospect give or take um but a lot of guys that, that we talk to um personally don't like him as much i'm kind of in, in between because i think that the stuff against press 
when he gets a hand on him, it knocks him a bit. <laughs> like the balance or the strength, whatever it may be, is not quite there yet. But if if you don't get a hand on him, forget about it. Like the explosiveness is obviously off the charts, and 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 I do love a guy who's who's a, an acrobat in the air, basically. That's really what he is, Cirque du Soleil type receiver. Um, my thing with with him that I want to push back against is, and again, it, it's not. I'm not even pushing back against like the the, the consensus narrative. I'm pushing back against um, some of our friends who I who I who I trust. <laughs> they're they're you know what I mean. Like it's not. Yeah. I, but I, but I trust him so much, but I do want to push back against it a little bit. But it's just like, I think there's a lot of, when, when you compare him to Chris Olave, which is his, his, his partner, right, on the other side of the field at Ohio State, you look at the difference in, in, in their break points. And I think that what happens with Wilson is that he does this very long break step, and it really makes his hips and his center of gravity go way down. And he's almost like crouching, like in a full squat um, when he gets in and out of his break. And it's like, do you do you love that? No, I do think it's being taught at the at the by like receiver coaches and stuff. So I'm not like that mad at him. Do you do you want it? Do you need it? Like not exactly. Like you look at Chris Olave, and it's like, okay, well, here's a guy who's just in and out of his breaks. His hips don't go down too low. You know, not a lot of steps. I think the thing with Wilson is like he doesn't take extra steps per se. He just gets really low. But the thing is, he's so explosive out of it that I, I don't care. That's yeah. where I am. It's like, it's like, do I care that yeah. much? Because he's so explosive out of it. Um, and, 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 and it reminds me last year talking about all the quarterback throwing motions mm-hmm. and how we talked about Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence dips the ball before he throws it, and you're like, yeah. Do you want do you want a guy who dips the ball before he, you know, as as he's really, you know, the first part of his kind of like, you know, release of the football? Like, nah, you don't you don't love it. But Trevor Lawrence is so fucking fast and quick. It's that it's like, okay, whatever, who cares? I don't care. And he gets and he gets everything else right. So that's why I feel about Wilson, where it's like, yeah, do I want a guy who's like his ass is touching the grass, like when he's running a hitch route? Like, no. But to me, it doesn't really matter that much because of how explosive and um, how explosive he is. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny watching watching Wilson. And I've seen a good amount of Ohio State film, obviously, watching Chris Olave and trying to uh, and being a supporter of, you know, who, you know, another San Diego kid, basically. Um, but in watching um, in watching Wilson, I, I see the same things that you do. It's not pretty against the press. Doesn't mean that it's always ugly. But right. you can definitely see the way that his rhythm can be affected as a receiver when there's tight coverage and physical coverage. Um, and the same thing with you, like aesthetically and to your point of having to kind of park our own preferences. I don't love the way that he gets in and out of routes at the top, you know, at his break points. But, you know, he does accelerate extremely well. Like I expect his three cone and his pro shuttle to be absolutely ridiculous because that kind of fits his play style in terms of being low to the ground and then being able to explode out. So I do, I am looking at that as well. And then, like you said, I mean, the bulk, the body control, the ability to go play the ball in the air. um, Those are the things that are his best traits. The things that I've pushed back against has been like what we already said, the refinement and route running. And then like some of the yards after catch stuff, because they just have, I just think that that just happens to be a function of Ohio state's offense. Like Garrett Wilson is just the guy that they like to use on drags. 
because Chris Olave is better on the crossing routes and Jackson Smith and Jigma was really good at playing in those intermediate areas as well. At everything. <laughs> yes, you know, so you're using Garrett well, you're using Garrett in, in, in some ways that I think just really fit his skill set and he's able to catch the ball and he does have some legitimate top end speed. Um, I just think that when people start talking about like yards after catchability, um, I think that we are using that as a replacement for just saying that a guy is fast with the football, which is what Garrett Wilson is. I don't know if he's like the shiftiest guy in the world. Um, not that it's like, you know, a negative trait of his, but I just don't know if it if it's being billed properly for who he is as a player. Um, aside from that, I mean, I guess the only question I have is like if you are comparing where he's kind of slotted versus like Chris Olave, which I feel like at one point everybody was like, Chris Olave's a dude. And now everybody's like, we don't like him at all. And now I'm looking at all these reports and it's way, you know, it's yeah. all kind of out of whack. When you look at a receiver like him, especially, you know, like you were saying through the lens of handling the press, what do you see in him as a receiver? Um, and then obviously I'll kind of trade, I want to kind of package that up with him. And then another favorite of mine and Drake London, who are two guys that I think, you know, we see all of these fluctuating feelings on these guys. Well, you know, the first thing is is the thing that I'm going to say every time we talk about the draft, which is like, they're all really good. And 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 the receiver position in general is is good every year, right? right? There's just too, there's too much training for these fellows in high school for them not to be good when they get to the draft. That's really what it comes down to. There's too much um, reps that they're getting from January to December every year that they're not going to be good. And they're all really good and different, but all really good. I think Olave, you know, he, he's, he definitely has better hand usage against the press. And the thing you're talking about with the yak, it's like, okay, well, you're not going to get a lot of yak if you're the Ohio State um, speed out receiver, right? Like that's what, that's, that's what he is. And, and, that's, and he's so good at that, getting in on the breaks there. Um, so yeah, they're, they're all really good. I'm, I'm kind of cool on all of them. Like I, I have some favorites. I, I I think London is my guy this year. Um, because of he's, he really is, a he really is more than, than just a contested, certainly more than a contested catch guy. Um, they're, they're throwing him screens. They're doing all sorts of stuff. And so my, and you can read this in the article, but my litmus test for guys against press isn't can you go run a nine because uh, you can all you use your speed and run a nine you know has he has he go run a nine my thing is can you run a six yard hitch against press like can you win twice in the route the five once at the hits. line of scrimmage yeah and then once at five yards when you got to throw the db off of you uh -huh. and london shows that on tape all the time a guy who surprisingly shows that on tape all the time is jameson williams for a smaller guy uh, yes. You see him do. You see him throw guys off him on the, on the, those type of rights as well, and I like him too. Um, but yeah, like London does that at, at, a, at an elite level. I think um, great against the press has has a lot of these guys. Like you see, like one or two moves against um, against press, especially um, you know you get that like off. I don't know what you call it, like inch technique or motor mm -hmm. technique or whatever mm -hmm. by the cornerback. And then it's just like, okay, has he, has he, has he, and then, I'm, and then I go. And he really has the ability to say, hey, I'm going to show you this release and then do that. I'm going to show you that release and then I'm going to do something else, um, which I think is really great. And I think his, his nuance as a, as a, at the break point is really good. And understanding that there are different types of breaks 
that you have right. at your disposal. But then not it, just like, yeah. So so that type of shit, um, uh, I think has been, I think, and then and then obviously you know catch point is is ten out of ten, and I know he's your guy too because he played at USC. So one hundred, you could just corroborate with I me mean, right now. It, not only played at USC, it was like literally one of the two good players in twenty twenty one at USC between him and Drake Jackson. Like those only two good football players that we had. But yeah, I mean. You know, again, like I haven't really dug into these guys and looked at a full profile of who they are as receivers, but guys like London and Burks stand out as big height weight guys that play well with the ball in the air. Both of them are like sneaky great at creating offense after the catch, things that you wouldn't exactly expect for guys who are always dealing with, you know, DBs draped all over them, you know, especially at their size, but they've both been really good at it. You look at Olave and Wilson, you're talking about guys that, can be those move around Z types, you know, you can play them in different spots, you know, especially Olave. I'm really interested to see kind of how he projects out um, because Olave, a, like I Olave said, is a receiver. Yes. Like if you're looking for whatever a the hell receiver, you, whatever the hell it is Olave. you need your wide receiver to do. Yeah. He'll do it. So he's really interesting for me. Um, and then, like you said, the, the, the only other name that, you know, we kind of brushed over or you mentioned him a little bit and I'm really just like fast over the top fascinated by this guy is Jamison Williams. Um, you know, I hope that he is able to make a speedy recovery from the ACL. The timing on it is obviously about as bad as it can get in terms of having it happen in the last game of the of the college football season. Um, but he's not just a speed guy. This is the same conversation we had about Jalen Waddle, right? Like people, I think, walk into it expecting to just see a speed player, a speed receiver. It's like, oh, wait, no, this dude does real receiver shit. He creates after the catch. He's really good against the press. He can play inside and out like, you know, his tempo on routes. He's not just trying to burn guys. He knows how to pace himself in order to work his way open, um, you know, and, and I think that, you know, based on some of his measurables, or I guess we'll see with some of his measurables, you know, if they come out the right way, that can really shoot him up. You know, if his weight is where I think we'd probably want to see it for a guy who's in that kind of six one six two ish type of uh, type of height range. He's fast. He's fast. Like, like let's let's fast. not oh, like real world fast. fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's just all he's, class, he's just cleaning people. Yeah, um, down the field. What all right. Before we get to the uh, mailbag portion of the episode, um, the Two High Podcast is of course presented by PFF. Right now on PFF.com, you can get any PFF subscription for twenty five percent off if you use the promo code Two High T W O H I G H. What can you get with a PFF subscription? All of PFF's locked on content, NFL draft guide. Uh, completely unlocked mock draft simulator, which have just added some cool trade aspects to it. Um, 2022 free agency rankings, data and grades from the entire 2021 season, and much more. Support the pod and use promo code Too High for 25% off any subscription. Also, the Too High podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand uh, needs and adjust goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Okay. Uh, we talked about safeties before, so quickly, this question is from Bernie. Um, who are the best young safeties in the league and what do you look for when scouting safeties and projecting them to the NFL? Ooh, favorite young safeties. I mean, I feel like this is almost a, 
That's a tough question because there are a lot of really good ones. And honestly, I could wake up in a day and have a much different answer. Um, the first ones that come to mind would be like the the pair in Buffalo, Hyde and Poyer. Love watching those two play. Absolutely love watching those two play. And the way that McDermott and Leslie Frazier utilize those guys. I can watch that all day long. Derwin James is somebody that I've been extremely fond of since he was at Florida State. Um, obviously, when he's healthy, you'd have a hard time finding guys who are better than he is. Um, those are probably, if you're asking me for like a top three, that's probably the three that I would put as, you know, that kind of gold standard. Jesse Bates is a guy who I think is in the conversation, um, especially when you start talking about like ball skills, the ability to play the ball in the air, feeling routes, being able to break on the football, all of those types of things. Justin Simmons, obviously, another guy that I'm really, really fond of, too. Like, that's if I was going to round out a five, that's probably my five. And the only other guy that's kind of like, you know, a quote-unquote sleeper type would be a Quandre Diggs because I just think that he can do more than he's been asked to do in Seattle. And a lot of that, I think, is kind of informed by some of the limitations, not only of his safety mate and Jamal Adams, but just what they do and don't have defensively in general. And we'll see what that defense is like bringing in, you know, some different minds, some different approaches, um, seeing if you can kind of apply some things differently schematically. Um, I think that that would be really good for him were he to stay in Seattle. Um, but that's probably like my top five plus one. Um, and then in terms of just like scouting out the position, we talk about this all the time. Um, it's all about versatility, right? Like whether you're playing single high or split safeties, how many things can these safeties do? Do you add value in the box? Where at in the boxes outside of tight ends? Or can you be a gap fitter? You know, can you step out into the slot? Can you play in the middle of the field? Um, you know, can you live in cover one? That's a big deal too. You know, it's it's great if you have three really good corners, you know, that can handle your your top three receivers. But if you have a safety that rolls down that can't handle tight ends, well, then cover one's probably not a good call for you. Um, you know what I mean? So being able to do those types of versatile things, playing man, add and run support, you know, got to be able to tackle in space, all the basics, right? Like safety is a fun, like you want to talk about key fundamental positions. Like, I don't know if any, it's hard to say, I'm sure I'd get a bunch of mentions from coaches who have their own disagreements, but in terms of like all of the core fundamentals and being a defensive player, I don't know if any position has to incorporate the combination of them all the way that a safety does. You can make the argument maybe for linebackers, but both those positions play in the middle of the field and have to do a bunch of different things. So safeties, you see them out in space, see them in the box, you know, man zone, all of those things. So those are the guys I think about that kind of do that combination of things the best that you can do the most with defensively. Okay, from Liam Horsley, who says, hey, Deontay. So <laughs> the question specifically for yeah, you. Yeah, F you, Seth. <laughs> Uh, I had a question I thought some might find interesting. If you could discuss how the role of an edge is different in a 4-3 versus a 3-4 defense. Um, I mean, to not do the cop-out, it depends on what you do answer. Like, if we're just thinking um, as kind of 10,000-foot view as possible, in the 3-4 on the edge, you are playing contain, right? You want to keep the ball inside of you, so you're usually using bigger bodies in a 3-4 structure, or you'd probably ideally would like to have bigger bodies. So teams like the Packers, right, we, we've talked about how large, how huge they are on the edge. That's for a reason, because when they when they put their outside linebackers on the field, the goal is to keep that C-gap to alley area contained with these big body guys. Um, in a 4-3 scheme, you're typically playing to get a little bit more downhill, a little bit more up the field. 
So now you don't necessarily need to be as large. You probably want to be a little bit more explosive. Um, so I think about the 49ers as a great example of that, right? Like Bosa's not small, but he's not he's not necessarily built to be a 3-4 outside backer type. You want that guy hand in the dirt, coming up the field, working his bend, creating havoc, stopping the run on the way to the quarterback. You know, all of those types of uh, buzzwords that we hear, that applies, I think, to the 4-3 edge. So that's probably the biggest way that I would uh, divide those two up in terms of body types and roles. Okay, um, from Sean Nickens. Just how much of the Bengals' offensive problems would be solved by just hiring a better OC and letting them call plays? Alternatively, if the Bengals get three quality, three uh, starter quality, say one above average guy, um, Tunsil, Armstead, Jensen, and two average guys, we're talking about the offensive line, um, you know, two average guys, say, say any, F, any free agent that started for an actual quality offensive line, how much do you think would mitigate the regression they'll suffer? Um, I think with the offensive line with the Bengals, it's pretty simple. Like, get better players. Like, it don't matter where and how. Like, they, you could you could literally upgrade everywhere. Um, you know, John Williams still pretty young, still upgrade there. Right. Um, do we know about Jackson Carmen? I don't care. We can still upgrade there. Um, Quentin Spain was okay for parts of the season, still upgrade there. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, right. you know, you know, Reef probably not coming back. I guess I'm not really sure what's going on there. So upgrade there. You know what I mean? Like every Prince Hopkins, uh, right? Advantage upgrade there. So you know, and, and I think you want like, those great players, but I think that you're pointing out something important. You want great players, obviously, but you got to think in offensive lines in terms of units, right? The cohesiveness of the unit. It's more about not having obvious weaknesses um, than it is about having overwhelming strengths. Even though you would like to have that too, but for a team like the Bengals, who while they have a decent amount of cap space, it's not like they're just rolling in it, you know, because they have guys that they've got to figure out who they're going to pay and who they're going to let walk, you know, and then you got to compete on the market. You know, having all the cap space in the world is great, but you got to compete on the open market with other teams that have a lot of cap space too. Yeah. So as long as they just get the minuses out of the lineup, That's you're the probably in, good, in a good position. You don't necessarily have to have these plus-plus guys, pro bowl to all pro level guys, for what else they have on the offense. Joe Burrow is good enough to be able to manage the pocket without having plus plus guys. It's just, can you get that average baseline level of production out of all five guys at a bare minimum? So anything they give you on top of that is just surplus value. That's the biggest thing for me. I see so, so many tweets from Bengals people being like, Hey, uh, check out this offensive line that I made via, you know, this like via the, the draft and free agency. And then it's like, it's like the best, like right. seven all pros. Teron Armstead and Trent Williams. And <laughs> it's like, okay, let's calm Lane down Johnson. for a second. Like, let's, right. let's chill for a second. Yeah, exactly. It's like not even guys. <laughs> it's like, yeah. You just throw, just throwing all the greatest names in the NFL. It's like, can, now, it's like left tackle Anthony Munoz. It's like, okay, well, let's <laughs> wait a minute for a second here. Right. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Right. Um, and then in terms of the offense, obviously we we've talked about this before. We're not, we're both not huge fans of the offense that's put together. It seems very herky jerky siloed. Um, so like, how much could they solve their offensive problems by just hiring a better OC, letting them call the plays, or just changing the offense, whatever, even if it's still Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan? Like, for sure. Um, obviously, the offensive line is the main thing because these things, you know, especially with a guy like Burrow and, and the receiving talent, it's like, you know, if you just – if you ran the same plays they ran in the playoffs, but the offensive line wasn't what it was in the playoffs, 
you yep. obviously get a better result. Um, you know, even though they went all with the Super Bowl, the offense wasn't very good um, in the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, there's always that. Just like, well, if you just get a better offensive line, you'll be fine. But yeah, I, I'm, I've never, I have, wasn't a fan. I think they're very, um, you know, under center, super high run rate. And like everyone has a high run rate, but they are at the highest. Um, no play action, like just no play action. Um, and, and no play action, you know, I wrote about this in my article where I talked about fixing the Bengals. Um, I think that like, you know, w- one of the things that they, they do a very bad job is controlling the space just beyond the linebackers with, with their route combinations. And, and it, and it comes up in a few different ways. A, no RPOs to attack the space behind them. Not that a lot of teams do it. There are some. No drift concept off play action to, again, attack that same space with a very similar route. And then at some point, they just kind of stop running their levels concept, which, again, attacks the high-low space um, in front of and behind linebackers. So I just felt like, especially with a quarterback like Burrow, who who's going to get to the right receiver generally and throw the ball accurately um, in those areas of the field, I don't, I don't see it enough. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, before we get out of here, your thoughts on the Bengals offense like that? Um. I mean, they're in a great spot. It was good enough to get to the Super Bowl, man. Right. Like, and honestly, the way that they, the way that Burrow was able to adjust, even as the offensive line really was like cratering in the second half of the year, all that shows me is that everything that we thought about him from 2019 is real and is probably going to sustain itself. Um, you know, the fact that his knee seems like it'll be in a good spot too, and you know, you've got all these young guys coming back. It, like I said. You get average production from the offensive line, and you're going to have to deal with this team for the next three to five years in the playoffs. Um, and they're going to be at or near the top of uh, the AFC North basically every year. So, you know, I, I, I'm very happy, you know, looking at forecasting what this offense is going to be. And, you know, I, I don't imagine that 2021 is the last time that we'll have to hear about this offense. You know, I, I'm really encouraged with, what, with all the weapons that they have and what things look like going forward. All right, uh, that was the Too High podcast, and uh, you will hear us next week from Indianapolis. See you guys.